Section 8 of A Popular History of France, Volume 5. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A Popular History of France from the Earliest Times, Volume 5, by François Guizot, translated by Robert Black. Chapter 36. Henry IV, Catholic King, 1593-1610, Part 3. The close of this happy and glorious year was at hand. On the 27th of September, between 6 and 7 p.m., a deplorable incident occurred for the second time to call Henry IV's attention to the weak side of his position. He was just back from Picardy, and holding a court reception at Schomburg House, at the back of the Louvre. John Chastel, a young man of nineteen, son of a cloth merchant in the city, slipped in among the visitors, managed to approach the king, and dealt him a blow with a knife just as he was stooping to raise and embrace Francis de Lagrange, Sieur de Montigny, who was kneeling before him. The blow, aimed at the king's throat, merely slit his upper lip and broke a tooth. Quote, I am wounded, said the king. John Chastel, having dropped his knife, had remained on the spot, motionless and confused. Montigny, according to some, but according to others, the Count of Soissons, who happened to be near him, laid hands upon him, saying, quote, Here is the assassin, either he or I. End quote. Henry the Fourth, always prone to pass things over, pooh-poohed the suspicion, and was just giving orders to let the young man go, when the knife, discovered on the ground close to Chastel, became positive evidence. Chastel was questioned, searched, and then handed over to the grand provost of the household, who had him conveyed to prison at Fort l'Eveque. He first of all denied, but afterwards admitted his deed, regretting that he had missed his aim, and saying he was ready to try again for his own salvation's sake, and that of religion. He declared that he had been brought up amongst the Jesuits in Rue Saint-Jacques, and he gave long details as to the education he had received there, and the maxims he had heard there. The rumour of his crime, and of the revelations he had made, spread immediately over Paris, and caused passionate excitement the people filled the churches and rendered thanks to god for having preserved the king the burgesses took up arms and mustered at their guard-posts the mob bore down on the college of jesuits in rue st jacques with threats of violence the king and the parliament sent a force thither brizard councillor in the high chamber captain of the district had the fathers removed and put them in security in his own house the inquiry was prosecuted deliberately and temperately it brought out that John Chastel had often heard repeated at his college, quote, that it was allowable to kill kings, even the king regnant, when they were not in the church or approved of by the pope, end quote. The accused formally maintained this maxim, which was found written out and dilated upon under his own hand in a notebook seized at his father's, quote, was it necessary, pray, said Henry the Fourth, laughing, that the Jesuits should be convicted by my mouth, end quote john chastel was sentenced to the most cruel punishment and he underwent it on the twentieth of december fifteen ninety four by torchlight before the principal entrance of notre dame without showing any symptom of regret his mother and his sisters were set at liberty his father an old leaguer had been cognizant of his project and had dissuaded him from it but without doing anything to hinder it he was banished from the kingdom for nine years and from paris for ever his house was razed to the ground and on the site was set up a pyramid with the decree of the parliament inscribed upon it the proceedings did not stop there 
at the beginning of this same year and on petition from the university of paris the parliament had commenced a general prosecution of the order of jesuits its maxims tendencies and influence formal discussions had taken place the prosecution and the defence had been conducted with eloquence and a decree of the court had ordained that judgment should be deferred several of the most respected functionaries notably president augustin de Thou, had pronounced against this decree considering the question so grave and so urgent that the parliament should make it their duty to decide upon the point at issue when sentence had to be pronounced upon john chastel president de Thou took the opportunity of saying quote, when i lately gave my opinion in the matter of the university and the jesuits i never hoped at my age and with my infirmities that i should live long enough to take part in the judgment we are about to pass to-day it was that which led me in the indignation caused me by the course at that time adopted to lay down an opinion to which i to-day recur with much joy god be praised for having brought about an occasion whereon we have nothing to do but felicitate ourselves for that the enterprise which our foes did meditate against the state and the life of the king hath been without success and which proves clearly at the same time how much the then opinion of certain honest men was wiser than that of persons who from a miserable policy were in favour of deferment the court, animated by the same sentiments as President de Thou, quote, declared the maxims maintained in the Jesuits' name to be rash, seditious, contrary to the word of God, savouring of heresy, and condemned by the holy canons. It expressly forbade them to be taught publicly or privately, on pain, in case of contraveners, of being treated as guilty of treason against God and man. It decreed further that the priests of the college in Rue Saint-Jacques, their pupils, and generally all members of that society, should leave Paris and all the towns in which they had colleges three days after this decree had been made known to them, and the kingdom within a fortnight as corruptors of youth, disturbers of the public peace, and enemies of the king and of the state in default of obedience on their part their property real and personal should be confiscated and employed for pious purposes the court besides prohibited all subjects of the king from sending their children as students to any jesuits out of the kingdom on pain of being declared enemies of the state this decree was issued on the twenty ninth of december fifteen ninety four and as if to leave no doubt about the sense and bearing of this legislation, it was immediately applied in the case of a Jesuit father, John Guignard, a native of Chartres. His papers were examined, and there were found in his handwriting many propositions and provocatives of sedition, such as, quote, that a great mistake had been made at the St. Bartholomew in not having opened the basilic vein, that is, in not having murdered Henry the Fourth and the Prince of Condé, who were of the blood royal two that the crown might have been and ought to have been transferred to a family other than that of the bourbon three that the bernese in spite of his pretended conversion ought to consider himself only too lucky if it were considered sufficient to shave his head and shut him up in a convent to do penance there that if the crown could not be taken from him without war then war must be made on him and that if the state of things did not admit of making war on him he ought to be got rid of at any price and in any way whatsoever 
for having not published but thought and with his own hand written out all this and probably taught it to his pupils father guignard was obliged to retract and was afterwards hanged in the place de greve on the seventh of january fifteen ninety five the task of honest men and of right minds is greater and more difficult in our day than it was in the sixteenth century for we have to reconcile the laws and the requirements of moral and social order with far broader principles and sentiments as regards right and liberty than were those of president augustin de Thou and the worthy functionaries of his time it was one of henry the fourth's conspicuous qualities that no event auspicious or inauspicious affected the correctness of his judgment and that he was just as much a stranger to illusion or intoxication in the hour of good fortune as to discouragement in the hour of ill he had sense enough to see in any case things as they really were and to estimate at the proper value the strength they brought or the obstacles they formed to his government he saw at a glance all the importance there was for him in the submission of paris and what change in his conduct was required by that in his position certain local successes of the spaniards at some points in his kingdom the efforts of mayenne to resuscitate the dying league and john chastel's attempt at assassination did not for a moment interfere with his confidence in his progress or cause him to hesitate as to the new bearing he had to assume he wrote on the seventeenth of december fifteen ninety four to the estates of artois and Hainaut, quote, I have hitherto lacked neither the courage nor the power to repel the insults offered me, and to send recoiling upon the head of the king of Spain and his subjects the evils of which he was the author. But just as were the grounds I had for declaring war against him, motives more powerful and concerning the interests of all Christendom restrained me. At the present time, when the principal leaders of the factious have returned to their duty and submitted to my laws, philip still continues his intrigues to foster troubles in the very heart of my kingdom after maturely reflecting i have decided that it is time for me to act nevertheless as i cannot forget the friendship my ancestors always felt for your country i could not but see with pain that though you have taken no share in philip's acts of injustice on you will fall the first blows of a war so terrible and i thought it my duty to warn you of my purpose before i proceed to execute it if you can prevail upon the king of spain to withdraw the army which he is having levied on the frontier and to give no protection for the future to rebels of my kingdom i will not declare war against him provided that i have certain proof of your good intentions and that you give me reasonable securities for them before the first of january in the approaching year lettre missive de henri IV page 280, de Tout, Histoire Universelle, pages 328 to 342. These letters, conveyed to Arras by one of the king's trumpeters, received no answer. The estates of Flanders, in assembly at Brussels, somewhat more bold than those of Artois and Hainaut, in vain represented to their Spanish governor their plaints and their desires for peace. For two months Henry the Fourth heard not a word on the subject. Philip II persisted in his act of hostility, and continued to give the King of France no title but that of Prince of Bern. On the 17th of January, 1595, Henry, in performance of what he had proclaimed, formally declared war against the King of Spain, forbade his subjects to have any commerce with him or his allies, and ordered them to make war on him for the future just as he persisted in making it on France. 
this able and worthy resolve was not approved of by rosny by this time the foremost of henry the fourth's counsellors although he had not yet risen in the government or probably in the king's private confidence to the superior rank that he did attain by the eminence of his services and the courageous sincerity of his devotion in his economie royale it is to interested influence on the part of england and holland that he attributes this declaration of war against philip quote, into which he says the king allowed himself to be hurried against his own feelings it was assuredly in accordance with his own feelings and of his own free will that henry acted in this important decision he had a political order of mind greater, more inventive, and more sagacious than Rosny's administrative order of mind, strong common sense, and painstaking financial abilities. To spontaneously declare war against Philip after the capitulation of Paris and the conquest of three-quarters of France was to proclaim that the League was at death's door, that there was no longer any civil war in France, and that her king had no more now than foreign war to occupy him to make alliance in view of that foreign war with the protestant sovereigns of england holland and germany against the exclusive and absolutist patron of catholicism was on the part of a king but lately protestant and now become resolutely catholic to separate openly politics from religion and to subserve the temporal interests of the realm of france whilst putting himself into the hands of the spiritual head of the church as regarded matters of faith henry the fourth moreover discovered another advantage in this line of conduct it rendered possible and natural the important act for which he was even then preparing and which will be spoken of directly the edict of nantes in favour of the protestants which was the charter of religious tolerance and the securities for it pending the advent of religious liberty and its rights that fundamental principle at this day of moral and social order in france such were henry the fourth's grand and premonitory instincts when on the seventeenth of january fifteen ninety five he officially declared against philip the second that war which philip had not for a moment ceased to make on him the conflict thus solemnly begun between france and spain lasted three years and three months from the seventeenth of january fifteen ninety five to the first of may fifteen ninety eight from henry the fourth's declaration of war to the peace of vervins which preceded by only four months and thirteen days the death of philip the second and the end of the preponderance of spain in europe it is not worth while to follow step by step the course of this monotonous conflict pregnant with facts which had their importance for contemporaries but are not worthy of an historical resurrection notice will be drawn only to those incidents in which the history of france is concerned and which give a good idea of henry the fourth's character the effectiveness of his government and the rapid growth of his greatness in europe contrasted with his rival's slow decay four months and a half after the declaration of war and during the campaign begun in burgundy between the french and the spaniards on the fifth of june fifteen ninety five near fontaine francaise a large burg a few leagues from dijon there took place an encounter which without ending in a general battle was an important event and caused so much sensation that it brought about political results more important than the immediate cause of them Henry the Fourth made up his mind to go and reconnoitre in person the approaches of Dijon, towards which the enemy were marching. He advanced with about a hundred and fifty men-at-arms and as many mounted arquebusiers close up to the burg of Saint-Seine. 
from there he sent the marquis of mirabeau with fifty or sixty horse to quote, go says sully and take stock of the enemy end quote and he put himself on the track of his lieutenant marching as a simple captain of light horse with the purpose of becoming better acquainted with the set of the country so as to turn it to advantage if the armies had to encounter but he had not gone more than a league when he saw mirabeau returning at more than a foot-pace and in some disorder who informed him quote, that he had been suddenly charged by as many as three or four hundred horse who did not give him leisure to extend his view as he could have desired and that he believed that the whole army of the constable of castille was marching in a body to come and quarter themselves in the burgh of st seine marshal de biron who joined the king at this moment offered to go and look at the enemy and bring back news that could be depended upon but scarcely had he gone a thousand paces when he descried on the top of a little valley some sixty horse halted there as if they were on guard he charged them toppled them over and taking their ground discovered the whole spanish army marching in order of battle and driving before them a hundred of the king's horse who were flying in disorder biron halted and showed a firm front to the enemy's approach but he was himself hard pressed at many points and was charged with such impetuosity that he was obliged to begin a retreat which changed before long to a sort of flight with a few sword cuts about the ears thus he arrived within sight of the king who immediately detached a hundred horse to support biron and stop the fugitives but the little reinforcement met with the same fate as those it went to support it was overthrown and driven pell-mell right up to the king who suddenly found himself with seven or eight hundred horse on his hands without counting the enemy's main army which could already be discerned in the distance far from being dumbfounded the king quote, borrowing says sully increase of judgment and courage from the greatness of the peril end quote, called all his men about him formed them into two squadrons of a hundred and fifty men each gave one to m de la tremoille with orders to go and charge the spanish cavalry on one flank put himself at the head of the other squadron and the two charges of the french were quote, so furious and so determined says sully the king mingling in the thickest of the fight and setting an example to the boldest quote, that the spanish squadrons in dismay tumbled one over another and retired half routed to the main body of mayenne's army who seeing a dash made to the king's assistance by some of his bravest officers with seven or eight hundred horse thought all the royal army was there and fearing to attack those gentry of whose determination he had just made proof he himself gave his troops the order to retreat henry going on in pursuit until he had forced them to recross the seine below gray leaving burgundy at his discretion a mere abridgment has been given of the story relating to this brilliant affair as it appears in the economie royale of sully pages three seventy seven to three eighty seven who was present and hotly engaged in the fight we will quote word for word however the account of henry the fourth himself who sent a report four days afterwards to his sister catherine and to the constable anne de montmorency to the latter he wrote on the eighth of june fifteen ninety five from dijon quote, i was informed that the constable of castille accompanied by the duke of mayenne was crossing the river seine with his army to come and succour the castle of this town i took horse the day after attended by my cousin marshal de biron and from seven to eight hundred horse to go and observe his plans on the spot 
whence it happened that intending to take the same quarters without having any certain advances about one another we met sooner than we had hoped and so closely that my cousin the marshal who led the first troop was obliged to charge those who had advanced and i to support him but our disadvantage was that all our troops had not yet arrived and joined me for i had but from two to three hundred horse whereas the enemy had all his cavalry on the spot making over a thousand or twelve hundred drawn up by squadrons and in order of battle however my said cousin did not haggle about them and seeing that they were worsting him because the game was too uneven i determined to make one in it and joined in it to such a purpose and with such luck thank god together with the following i had that we put them to the rout but i can assure you that it was not at the first charge for we made several and if the rest of my forces had been with me i should no doubt have defeated all their cavalry and perhaps their foot who were in order of battle behind the others having at their head the said constable of castille but our forces were so unequal that i could do no more than put to flight those who would not do battle after having cut in pieces the rest as we had done wherein i can tell you my dear cousin that my said cousin marshal de biron and i did some good handiwork he was wounded in the head by a blow from a cutlass in the second charge for he and i had nothing on but our cuirasses not having had time to arm ourselves further so surprised and hurried were we however my said cousin did not fail after his wound to return again to the charge three or four times as i too did on my side finally we did so well that the field and their dead were left to us to the number of a hundred or six score and as many prisoners of all ranks whereat the said constable of castille took such alarm that he at once recrossed the seine and i have been told that it was not without reproaching the duke of mayenne with having deceived him in not telling him of my arrival in this country End quote. End of section eight.